Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, George. Good morning, everybody. That's great. It's good to have you in church, and you're very, very welcome. If you're visiting with us, and I know that some people are for the first time, it is lovely to have you. And if you are a regular and a member, um, it's just as good to have you as well. And we pray God's blessing uh, on us today. I'm going to be looking at John chapter 13. Um, The first verse of that ends by saying that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he loves those who were in the world. That's, That's us, as it were, the disciples then and his disciples today. And he showed them the full extent of his love. Literally, that means to the very end. So it's not thinking primarily about foot washing, but it's thinking about the cross. And, and I, I suppose I just want us to be captured by that, that God loves us and that he loves us immeasurably. And we're going to be singing about uh, that now in that sense where the first verse of this is all about creation. God loves us by giving us this world. Second verse is about incarnation, which means that God came from the glory of heaven to be with us, and it shows the extent of his love. And the last verse is about redemption, about the cross, about how he took the punishment for our sin upon himself so that we could go free. That's what he's talking about in this verse, the full extent of his love. And so let's stand and sing together. You You're the word of God, the Father, and the cry of love rings out across the land. So let's stand to sing. Well, let's uh, bow um, and talk to God in prayer. And uh, as you do so, keep those images of creation and incarnation and redemption uh, in your thinking. Father, it is um, good for us to pause and to think about what we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and the activity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creating the world and to try and imagine there your impulse of love that you might create this wonderful, perfect place for human beings to occupy. And Father, when we just consider the enormity of the power contained within the world, when we think about the riches that are within uh, the earth and that are generated from her, when we think of the spectacular beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, We think of the glory of a southern sky and the stars that twinkle and just seem alive to us. We think of the sheer distances involved if we think of the plant life and the animal life. And yet the pinnacle of creation was us, men and women, boys and girls. And Father, you loved us so much that you created this world for us. Father, we thank you that when we made a mess of it, 
when we decided that we, would, we knew better than you, when we decided that we would disobey you. And we've been doing it ever since. Lord, you did not abandon us because you loved us. And you came to us in the person of your Son. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he is. Thank you for the life that he left us uh, in terms of the written word. We thank you for his deep care for his disciples, as we'll see as we uh, look at this passage later on. And Father, we thank you just for his life of kindness, gentleness, and power. And Father, we just again see the wonder of your love. And Father, we thank you for the cross. Father, we sometimes are aware that when we speak of the Father punishing his Son, that people don't like it. Uh, Father, we're aware of what it means for us to understand that we were the ones who put Jesus on the cross, that he willingly went, that Pilate, in a sense, put him there, that the Jews, in a sense, put him there, but that we put him there, of course, and that we're responsible for the death of this man, the Son of God. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see the extent of your love for us in that, and that, Father, that you would help us to understand again how deep that love is. So, Father, we come, and in light of that, we just pray that we would open our hearts to you, and that we would want to explore. Sometimes, Father, we're distant. Sometimes we it's so overwhelming that we sometimes wonder, do we really want to be involved with you? I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would seek relationship. I pray that we would be honest in how we relate to you. And I pray that you would be with us in all that we do today. Father, we want to worship you. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want to learn how to serve. And Father, I pray that you will do that work in our hearts and in our minds today. And so, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everybody, if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's open them at uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13. So you might be wondering, why am I starting in John in 13 and not 1? Well, we're kind of moving towards the end game, as it were. Um, if you look in chapter 12, in verse 27, it says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Jesus is talking about his death. His hour is his time. It's, uh, it's the moment that he has left the glory of heaven and come for. And the way I'm going to try and teach this is that this is Jesus at school. Some of you have started school. I don't know if you have any university students for the first time. You're very welcome if you are. Um, but this is Jesus' university. This is how he teaches. He teaches by tutorials, by worked examples. He teaches uh, by uh, sort of conversation over meals, as we'll see here. And he teaches in the hard knocks of life, just as he walks towards the cross. That's how he teaches. And his deep desire 
is that people would know how to live well after he, um, yeah, after he leaves. So that's his university. That's what he desires, that we'd live well. The word the Bible uses for living well is holy. And uh, that's what we're going to look at now. So let me read it. And then Katie's going to come and talk to the boys and girls about that. So John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, page 1081 in your Bibles. And it's about a meal. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, have no, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Okay, Katie? Come up. Take your finger, stick it in your Bible so you don't lose your place. And then you can come up because you're going to need your Bible this morning, all my young friends, because it has all the answers to my questions. Anyone else coming up? Brave souls. Okay. Well, welcome this morning. I am super excited to be back with you. I missed you guys a lot over the summer. It was... Aw. And at least one of you missed me. <laughs> well, thank you, Richard. And I'm not only excited because you're here, but I'm also excited because here we get to study and learn about Jesus together when we read in his word. So, I have a question. In the story today, where we've started looking at the last day that Jesus spends with his disciples. And John starts with this story about something really weird, kind of upsetting, that Jesus does. Did anybody catch what he did? It's really weird. He washed the disciples' feet. 
He washed their feet. Ah, is anybody else uncomfortable with people's feet about touching people's feet or people touching your feet? Wow, great. Then all of you guys can come and wash feet later. <laughs> I was expecting that I'll be like, ew, no. Feet, even if they look clean, they can be really stinky. Ugh. Tricks you. So, why? Let's see. Why do you think Jesus did that? Let's just imagine for a minute what the disciples' feet would have been like, right? So they're reclining at the table. End of a long day. What do you think their feet were like? Very dirty, very dirty. What kind of things do you think were on them? Rocks, dust. Oh, some dust. What else? Sand, maybe? Ooh, that's true. That is a worst case scenario because they share the road with animals, so you never know. <laughs> Ugh. So why do you think Jesus, who is king of the universe, and he's also in charge of all these guys, didn't ask somebody else to do that really, really disgusting work? I think there are a couple reasons in our passage. Can you find one of the reasons? If you look. Mm -hmm. So, if we go to the very end of what Sam read to us, Jesus says, because I wanted to model for you what my followers do. He's like, you are not greater than me. I am not greater than God. I am God. Right? He says, this is what followers of Jesus do. And so I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live obediently to God's word. He doesn't try to, like, trick us or deceive us. He's honest that this, even though it might be a bit messy or embarrassing or uncomfortable um, or something that we wish someone else would do, we're called to serve others. That's one reason. What's another reason? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's talking to Peter in the middle, and he says, I know you don't understand, but I am the only person who can wash your feet. There's nobody else who can wash your feet. And you're like, that's bizarre. He's never said that at any of their other meals. But at this special Passover meal, he is trying to tell them something. About, about themselves and about being clean. Now, he specifically talks about their feet. What do you do with your feet normally throughout the day? What do we do with our feet? Oh, we walk. And where do we go when we walk? Everywhere. Everywhere, maybe home, school, maybe to play. Our feet, look down at your feet for a second. At the end of the day, your feet have seen everywhere that you go. And so they get kind of messy or dirty by the end of the day, or maybe sweaty. You know, maybe your, your new trainers aren't so breathable. I don't know. But we have spiritual feet, too. As we walk through life, we uh, obey God's word. We do things and say things and think things that we're supposed to do. Um, 
But sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we disobey God. We choose to not do what he says, or we choose to, um, yeah, what, does anyone remember? I gave a definition of sin a really long time ago. Does anyone remember? Yes, thank you for saving me. Yes, it's doing things that we shouldn't do and not doing things that we should do. So when he says, no one else can wash your feet, he's saying, no one else can forgive you for your sins except me. Whoa. So no matter how much you pretend that your feet aren't dirty, and you put them in your nice shoes, say, look, see, my feet are not dirty at all. That doesn't make sin go away and it doesn't clean up the mess of sin. And no matter how much you scrub your feet, you can't clean up sin. Only Jesus can wash away our sin. Now there's one other reason that John gives. Can anybody find it? Hiding there in the open. I've stumped them all. At the, well, that would be very sad. Yes, that's what Peter says. Yes, Allegra. Yep. Jesus washes their feet just because he loves them. So it was really great that it got to tell them that they need forgiveness and he is offering forgiveness to them. It's great that it models to them what living for him, what following him looks like. But he just loves them. And so he washes their feet. So this is the the amazing God that we get to serve, that he just loves us. So why should we serve? That's the thing at the end. That's the action. Why should we serve others? Well, because Jesus is Lord and teacher, right? And so we should obey what he says. That is a good enough reason. But he gives us more reasons. He says, because I'm your teacher and I've taught you how to live well. And this is how to live well. And because I am your savior, and because I am offering you forgiveness, and and I want you to show and offer forgiveness to others. And we should obey him because he loves us. He is our friend who loved us so much that he left his throne to come and live in a human body and to live life, messy life with us. But then he didn't just stop there. He knelt and he served us. And then he died on the cross for us. That is a lot of reasons to serve others because Jesus loves us. So let's pray and thank him for that and then we're going to sing a song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that He loved us enough to come live in our mess with us and to wash us of our our sins. 
so that we can live obediently and serve others for you. And so we just ask that you would change our hearts so that we would do that with joy um, and not uh, dread serving others, but that we would look forward to doing it. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, folks, uh, we're going to stand and sing Jesus' hands, we're kind hands. And there's a line in there, I think, as well, about washing tired feet. So let's stand and sing this song. Thank you, Katie. Boys and girls, you're free to go. Um, so those aged 4 to 14, um, Sunday special in K2 upstairs. Great to have you. Well, lovely to have you in church this morning. Just going to run through some of the announcements, and they're on the order of service here as well. Um, next week, we have a focus on the Chinese church, and we have a speaker called uh, Dr. Bob Fu coming. Uh, he's the guest speaker at the Church and Chains Conference, uh, which you can check out on their website, which is on the Saturday as well from 11 to 4 p.m., and I've also asked Guy, uh, who used to worship with us and who's leading the Cork uh, Chinese Church, to come and uh, speak with us as well. Um, I'm delighted, actually, that they're coming for two reasons. Firstly, that I have to attend a family event in Northern Ireland on the Saturday evening, and so I'll be tired when I come back, um, but also just to give us an insight into that. Believe it or not, I'm going to my aunt's 50th wedding anniversary. And the reason that that is lodged in my mind is that I was the page boy. And it scars me because I wore a velvet suit, patent shoes, and frilly lace cuffs that came out about here. And every time I think about it, I can never get that picture out of my head. It scarred me for life. So I don't know how I'm going to react to my aunt when I see her. And Probably those photographs are going to be there, but you can be thinking of us uh, in that. But I am delighted um, for Do Bob Fu to come. He's an advisor to presidents. Uh, he knows a lot about the Chinese church, and I want to encourage uh, you to come and listen carefully to what he has to say. If you've come uh, burdened uh, to the service, as many of us do, uh, with life's daily uh, problems and situations, relationship issues or whatever, then we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just say uh, to the Lord, this person needs your help. That's all that we do. Uh, we do it here at the front, um, and you are welcome to come and just ask for prayer. Uh, Sunday special and K2 leaders meet tomorrow. That's Monday, uh, Monday at uh, 7.45 in the community floor. Session meets on Tuesday. Um, Caterpillar Kids starts as well on Tuesday. Uh, we're having a church cleanup. An autumn clean on Saturday the 14th, that's next Saturday, from 10 to 1. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the porch. You can talk to Ray as well.
um, plowing event, just to keep that event in your um, prayers. If you do want to go and help part of the team, uh, serving teas, face painting, talking to people, whatever, uh, then do uh, email William there. Um, I have lots of leaflets today. Um, Dublin Women's Convention, some of you went last year or the, over the few years. There's leaflets available. Karen has them. Uh, talk to the ladies who were there. It's a, an excellent event. And they, the title is Persevering in Prayer. Um, on your seat, you'll see some information about what the Presbyterian Church in Ireland does. Take those with you. Uh, there's leaflets out here uh, from Tusla about fostering. Interestingly, uh, Tusla are asking churches to uh, uh, look for people who might foster. Uh, we have uh, Ian and Terry foster uh, all their lives, so you can talk to them as well. Um, but uh, if you would like to be involved in that, there are leaflets out there. Um, if you are um, involved with people with intellectual disabilities, there's a special day conference in the YWCA in Greystones, and there are leaflets out there as well about that. And then if you turn over the page, I just want to draw your attention to uh, our preaching schedule. We're going to put it in here, I think, uh, rather than a separate sheet, and you'll get obviously there for the next few weeks. Um, only just to draw your attention to the 13th of October, uh, we have the Reverend Andrew Gill coming. Andrew's the new minister in Black Rock and Bray and was our youth worker here. That's our harvest, um, and uh, we're going to have our barbecue on that day as well. Um, so it suits everybody to, uh, who's organizing that. If you're a student, uh, then you're very welcome as well. Uh, if you're, you know, just bring your friends uh, to our special service. Andrew will be preaching. It will be harvest, Thanksgiving, and we'll have our barbecue as well. Um, and just to finish, Heather's going to come and just give us a few updates about them going back to Spain. Thanks, Sam. Alan and I go back to Spain at the end of next week, but I'm not about uh, next weekend, so I wanted to fill you in and ask you for your prayers as we return to Spain. As you know by now, we work with the, and go to, the Anglican Stroke Methodist Church in Soto Grande, right in the south of Spain, very near Gibraltar. And the first thing that I would like you to pray for is that we are going to be down one more Methodist lay preacher who's going back to the UK. So the rota for the Methodist preachers is very tight, and there are only two on site in Gibraltar and one who comes back and forth from England. So pray that God sends another Methodist uh, local preacher who will be able to help with the rota. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we, uh, Alan and I also lead a midweek group, which is called Frontline, which a lot of you will know about. And it starts on the 4th of October. So it's back to Spain and straight back into that. There's a lot of organizing. We're doing a DVD series uh, based on the book by John Ortberg. And I, you can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat. Isn't that right? Okay. All right. Or maybe the other way around. But anyway, um, there it is. We need your prayers for that. And the third thing is that um, we are going to hold our fourth concert in Soto Grande Church on the 19th of October. And that is Big Sing 4 uh, with Jonathan Ray and two other musicians from New Irish Choir and Orchestra in Belfast. And the logistics of that are quite difficult, getting them over, getting them accommodated, hiring a sound system, 
Um, you know, I'm not technical on that front, but I'm the one who speaks Spanish, so therefore I have to have exactly the right sound system there in the church, which they can plug their microphones, etc., into, and just everything surrounding it. And I'm delighted to say that as of this week, we have 40 people signed up to do the workshop with Jonathan Ray and to sing with the choir that night. And that is not just, I'd say about... 24 of those are people who come to church and the others so far are from local choirs um, who are not church going. But because Jonathan is such a wonderful um, musical director, all the choir mistresses want their singers there so that they benefit from that. So this is a way in to, to witness. So please pray for that. The flyer is nearly ready. When it comes, I will send it to Sam and he can put it up on the screen so that you know what you're praying for. Um, and of course, I always send Winnie um, the latest news. So she sends it out on Tuesday, Wednesdays or Thursdays during the week. And if you're not signed up to Winnie's prayer line, you should be. Um, so please see her and give her your email address if you want to keep up, not just with what we're doing, but with what other, all the other things that are happening in church. So thank you in advance for your prayers and see you mid-November when we get back. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Heather. Well, I think those are all the announcements. Um, it would have been lovely to sing now, but I want to sing I Will Offer Up My Life afterwards. So if you have your Bibles there, let's just uh, open up um, at John chapter 13. And uh, we'll have a look at this together. So folks, I suppose I was, I'm conscious of people going back to school, I'm conscious of university starting, and I, I kind of geared the talk at that level. But I want to tell you that when I left home uh, in Ballycastle 18 years ago, or 18, when I was 18 years of age, I asked my mother a very important question, and it was, how do you choose which color of socks to wear? with your pants or trousers, as we would say, in the UK or Northern Ireland. And you can guess whether I got it right or not today. I also asked her a practical question. I said, will you show me how to do this? Will you show me how to iron a shirt? And you, uh, I needed to know, of course, how to live well at university and not stand out. And when I went to university as well, before I started, I was a Christian, and I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. So when I went to the university preterm, this was the poster that was at the front. I've never forgotten it. Never forgotten it. And it was all about holiness. Castle Well and Castle, 1981. Dare to be different. And I think that's what I want us to think about today, because Jesus' life on earth is, um, this thing's not working well for me. Hold on a minute, sorry. Right, that's better. So Jesus knows that his life on earth is about to end. He's deeply concerned about his people, his disciples, 
and he desires to pass on helpful instruction about how they can live well when he is gone. And it will be our privilege to have a look at this, his final instructions, which he gives in a variety of settings, a room in a house during a meal, an acted parable, washing the disciples' feet, the harsh realities of life in a hostile world. And if we are his disciples, that is our invitation. Jesus wants us to live well for him after he is gone, post his death and resurrection, and he brings us into his school or university and has much to teach us. We, by the way, like the disciples, are often slow and unpromising pupils. We have no theological training. We come from a variety of backgrounds, and, uh, but the invitation is given in the context of love. Let me read to you his invitation to you. We read it in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And some of you may be thinking, well, Jesus, if you truly loved your people, why didn't you stay a bit longer? If you loved us, Jesus, wouldn't you stay? And Jesus says, no. My death and resurrection and ascension to heaven shows you the full extent of my love, verse 1. And it is the only way to be made holy. I think a point that Katie made very well. Now, being holy doesn't get great press, does it? Nor do most of us think that it's cool. It isn't. It's, isn't that about do, not doing things and discipline and denying pleasure, which is a great motivator of most students, isn't it? But like the performance of an athlete who has been focused on holiness, um, it's about being morally strong, creative, and productive, full of beauty, and self-giving life like Jesus. In essence, it is a good life, and it helps in our relationships at home, at work, at play, and with self and others. Where our feet take us, another point well made. Jesus desires that we live well, live life to the full, and he knows that the only way for us to be like him, that is to be holy, is for him to leave. And some of us also question if he will be successful. As I said, the pupils are not too promising. That's us. This group have no money. Their room is borrowed. They have no servant. They, don't, they even have a traitor in their midst, verse 2. And yet Jesus knows all this. Verse 3, he has all the power and nothing is outside of his control. This is how he chooses to work. And as another disciple wrote in his letter to the church in Rome, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And actually, when I looked at this as well, the disciples don't appear to be too daunted, do they? They're at a meal. They're relaxed and in conversation. They can interrupt him. They can ask questions. And we'll see later on that they even challenge Jesus. They are completely at ease 
in his presence. They know that he loves them. And even though they don't fully appreciate the full extent of that love, verse 1, they're, they're comfortable enough to be with him. And folks, I want us to think about this. I want us to know that God loves us. I want us to know that he wants the best for us. And he dares us to be different. He dares us to listen and follow and be as he wants us to be. That's the invitation that I would love us to follow. Anybody have any idea where that university is? It's Old College Edinburgh. Absolutely. It's where my son has just gone to start this week. Uh, well, third year, but he's gone there. I didn't want to put up Trinity. Didn't want to put up UCD in case there was a riot in that way. But this is Jesus University of Holiness, as I've been saying. And the first picture he gives us is to be clean. Okay, so I read this week about the story of the pig with the, the uh, nose ring as well. It's a story apparently from Greek mythology. Not that I've read Greek mythology. If you want to reference it, it was well known at this time um, in these early years of Jesus' life. And it's used by Peter in 2 Peter 2, verse 22, where he says, Of them the Proverbs are true, that a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So this is the story. This sow had been watching the ladies of the city attend the public baths. And she saw them emerge nice and pink and beautifully dressed. And so she decided to follow their example and be a lady. She went to the baths and she washed her skin and scrubbed it and she was really pink and she put on a dress and she even put a gold ring in her nose. She came out and walked not on four feet but on two and pranced up the street doing her best to be a lady. But when she got to the end of the street, she saw a muddy pool of water and she just dived straight into it because that's what she really wanted to do. That's the question, isn't it? How does God make people like us holy and beautiful? The answer is in verse 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 10, a person who has a bath, his whole body is clean and you are clean. Jesus must do this for us. Though Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, it's an acted parable. It's pointing to something future, and that's the cross. We see that from the mention of the Passover, as, as has already been said in verse 1, where the lamb was slain and its blood shed for the salvation of those under it. Not that they deserved it. And the idea in verse 7 is that they would understand this later because it's not about the foot washing, it's about the cross, which was going to happen very soon. And if you look at the thought in verse 2 and the thought in verse 11 of betrayal leading to his death, that tells us that Jesus had the cross in mind. So how does Jesus make us clean? He makes us clean through the cross. And it's an amazing cleanness, isn't it? Look at verse 10. And, and we just need to meditate upon this. And you are clean. The blood of Jesus cleanses us completely from a guilty conscience. The Holy Spirit washes us in total regeneration so that we become a new creation. 
or guilt is atoned for and we are justified, our hearts are changed and we are sanctified, we are washed completely, we are clean. Jesus says it, and you are clean. It's a one-time experience. It doesn't need to be repeated. Verse 10, it means that we are totally secure. It is appropriate, of course, by faith alone and not by self-effort. And this is salvation. And thinking back to our unfortunate uh, sow or pig, self-effort does not change us. Following what a Christian does, does not change us. We need Jesus to wash us of our guilt and put a new life in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's telling us in the school that he has. That's how we are clean, and that's what we must be. We need this experience through faith of salvation in Jesus Christ. As I was preparing this this morning, I Again, I wanted just to tell you a little anecdote. I, when I was 17 years of age, I used to do outreach teams. And I used to do them in my hometown in Ballycastle. And it was scary. And I really struggled to do it. But one of the things that impacted me greatly in those days were the lives of other Christians. I just loved them, I have to say. I loved their humor. I loved their friendship. I loved the example of their lives, and it was a great incentive for me to live the Christian life. And it's dawned on me quite recently that what I often tried to do was to be like them, and it was impossible, because my heart was often very selfish. I didn't really want to be standing at the front, even though I knew it was the right thing to do. And I struggled to live the life that they seemed to live. And the way to do that was not by just following their example. The way to do that was by admitting what I was really like. And knowing that God loved me anyway and that he was working in my life as a young man of 17 and 18 years of age. And if I'd learned that lesson earlier, I think my Christian life would have been a lot more exciting and easy. God changes us at the, at, in our own way through the cross. We cannot just emulate others. And that's what he's saying. You need to be clean. And the only way to be clean is through the cross of Jesus Christ. His second lesson is that you are to keep clean. This is the muddy feet illustration. Again, if you picture me as a young boy, I struggled to tell people that I was a Christian. I still remember going home and not being able to tell my mom and dad that I was a Christian. And I actually lived well for about two days, I thought. I did particularly well. I was particularly helpful at home. I was particularly generous in, in all those kind of things. But gradually, my feet got dirty. And because my feet got dirty, I realized that I wasn't living the way that I wanted to do. For some reason, this sin stuff really bothered me. It didn't really bother me before. And I had incredible guilt that I never really had before. And I kept asking myself the question, am I a Christian? Because I could see all this stuff in my life that was such a mess. Maybe you felt that way. And Jesus simply explains that's what happens when we walk through life. It's when you walk into school. 
It's a good illustration, isn't it? When you walk into your, your, your office, when you walk into church, when relationships are not as they should be, and you react wrongly, you get critical, you curse, you beep the horn in anger, you hurt people. And what you need is not a bath, because you're still a Christian. You need to just appropriate by faith the freedom from guilt and the washing of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it's a clear picture, isn't it, of sandaled feet walking through muddy, poo-filled streets, as I said here. It gets very messy. And you get contaminated from the sin of the world and ongoing sinful reactions. And I want you to picture this, by the way, folks, because you're at the table. And I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to see him taking off his outer garment because that's what a servant did. He's put the towel around his waist because that's what kept it warm and dry and clean. And he's washing your feet. And he's speaking to you as you do, as he does it. And he's saying your attitude to that person isn't right. He's saying you need to stop doing that. He says, I know that you're struggling in this particular way. And he says, you need to be washed by me. That's what we hear when we read the Bible, isn't it? Because that's how he speaks to us. That's what he tells us what's right and what's wrong. And the problem we have is as Christians, we feel to admit that we are sinful. We deny that we have muddy feet. We put our shoes on. We try harder. We come to church. We do all these religious things. But there is no progress. We continue to grieve the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we're a poor witness to the world. We're like Peter. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. So, folks, sadly, this is our daily routine. This is what we do every moment of the day. It's what I do when I drive into church because of the way I look at somebody who's walking down the street. Our feet get muddy, and we need a gentle Savior to wash us every single day. It's a call for repentance. It's a call for relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't do that, we distance ourselves from Jesus, and that's not what we want. We want to be cleansed. We want to keep clean. And lastly, we want to serve others. I've just finished a novel called Chasing Francis by Ian Morgan Crone. It tells the story of an evangelical pastor of a large and successful church in the United States of America. And he burns out because of all the pressure that's on him and because, in a sense, because of the theology that he holds. And he, he seeks to find God's way again. He has an uncle who lives in Italy and is associated with the Franciscans. And he starts this pilgrimage of discovery with the Franciscans that leads him to renewed emphasis. 
One of the things that he discovers is the importance of poverty. Because poverty allows him and forces him to have a deep, dependent relationship of God in the service of the poor. And he movingly tells the story of being asked to be the man emaciated with AIDS. The story itself is a modern-day parable, and Jesus is clear that he isn't only concerned about our attitudes, he wants us to serve one another, especially the family of God. The washing of the disciples' feet places a strong moral obligation on us to do so. So in this book, this evangelical pastor was being moved away from just reading the Bible in a sense to much more practical expression of his faith. And that, I think, is right. It was lovely yesterday. We were in Paolo and Anna's house scraping their wallpaper. And it was people from the church who were doing it. It was lovely. Good fun. A good thing to be doing. And some have wondered, of course, is it the act that we should be doing? But I think in our thinking of the Bible and in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10, this idea of foot washing is used in a whole list of good deeds that the widows do. And so I think it's probable that it's a metaphor for doing lots of good and practical things. So holiness is practical. You are to be disciples of Jesus where you find yourself. Literally, I think Katie's illustration is excellent, where your feet walk. I've written down here in a student flat. And particularly for students when you go home to your parents. When you take a part-time job, do you just take it for the money? Or do you take it to serve? When you live in this society, do you just think it's, this society is to serve me? Or am I to serve this society? And what about working in the church? That's what Jesus is asking us to do. And his example of doing the meanest, lowliest job is a moral example for us to follow. So why should we do this? Why should we serve others? Why would you want to do that? And firstly, because of the authority of Jesus. There's a fascinating little bit here, and you need to look at your Bibles for this. The disciples call Jesus teacher and Lord. You call me teacher and Lord, verse 13. Jesus responds to that by saying, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But listen to what he says in verse 14. Now that I, not your teacher and your Lord, but your Lord and your teacher. You see how he reverses that? I've washed your feet. You should wash one another's feet. You see, folks, we often read our Bibles, don't we? And we decide what we're going to do with it. We decide whether we're going to obey it or not. We don't like it. We say, well, not obey it. Because, yes, Jesus is our teacher, but he's not our Lord. And if we acknowledge him as our Lord, as he's asking us to do here, then we should do what he says. And you might say, well, that's tyrannical, isn't it? Don't want to follow a tyrannical Lord. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Because he says, I'll never ask you to do anything 
that I have not already done for you. The act of service he has just completed was the most menial one. It was despised. In fact, some Jews believed that not even servants should do it. So he doesn't just have authority, which he has. He shows us by the power of example. His motivating power is not control and domination. I was fascinated this week by um, the death of Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. They say that people, he started off as a liberator and he became a dictator. The maxim is that power corrupts and that absolute power corrupts absolutely. I've been frustrated in Ireland because of the power of the banks and how they don't seem to want to serve us. And I've been particularly frustrated by the car insurance industry as I've wrestled to get a good deal over the last couple of weeks. They asked me for twice the amount that they eventually settled for. So what's that about? Power corrupts, but it doesn't for Jesus because he's pure and he's holy. And his motivation is always love. The foot washing was an act of love. It points to that reality. And it points greater than that. This foot washing is nothing compared to the reality of his self-sacrifice and death on the cross. His punishment, bearing the wrath of the Father, bearing our guilt so that we should be forgiven and receive the washing of his blood and the Holy Spirit. And lastly, why would we do it? Because he promises to bless us. It's a clear statement of promise. So what does this holy life look like? How does Jesus teach us to us? He says it begins and is secure in our forgiveness of our sin and recreation of Christ. You cannot live it if you don't know Christ personally in that way. It continues aware of sin that comes from us from within and without muddying our feet as we walk on the journey with Jesus. It emphasizes the need for a close relationship with God. It issues in a practical life of service, areas like the care of our planet, or concern for injustice, or love of the poor, or desire to share Jesus with those who don't know him, a wholehearted commitment to this church, or spiritual brothers and sisters in practical service. This is the teaching and example of Jesus. This is our first lesson in the university of holiness and life. Being clean leads to practical service. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet in practical acts of service. And if you do, you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, listening to Jesus is always enthralling. Listening to Jesus is always humbling and always challenging. And yet we know in our spirits that it, you know, that the Spirit is saying, this is right, this is good, this is the way to live. And Father, I pray that you will just so fill us with your Spirit, that your voice would be so clearly heard, that we will be your disciples, and that we will love you 
and love one another, and that we will see afresh the full extent of your love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I want us to sing um, uh, without lifting the offering. Let us just stand and sing, I will offer up my life, because this is a prayer of response. Um, And I pray that we will pray it sincerely and wholeheartedly uh, as we do. And then we'll lift our offering and sing again, meekness and majesty. So let's stand and sing this as a response to God's word. Let us join together in our prayers for others. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have shared here this morning, that we can freely meet, that we live in a prosperous country with good infrastructure, uh, and that we very rarely have to worry about extreme weather. And we can meet without fear of attack or prejudice. Lord, when we reflect on our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we begin to realize how blessed we are. Lord, give us wisdom to cherish this freedom and for, for us to use it wisely to your glory. Father, we pray for the people of the Bahamas. We have seen the destruction on TV and we've heard people say, I've lost everything. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, homes and livelihoods. We pray especially for the very vulnerable, those who are completely dependent on the care of others, and ask that you will move the hearts of political leaders to set aside their differences and to respond quickly with the much needed food, water, medicines, and emergency supplies. Lord, we ask that you protect the churches on those islands and your people and that the church communities will be a strong force for good in the recovery and the rebuilding process, and that it will be to your glory. We pray for our brothers and sisters in in countries where it is impossible to publicly profess belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for organizations like Church of Chains that fight for justice for those who have been falsely imprisoned for their faith. Church of Chains asks us to pray for Sonan Mashi, a father of three, a Pakistani street cleaner accused of blasphemy who has been in prison since 2013 and is facing a death sentence. We pray for his appeal, which is scheduled for the 17th of of September, a few days away. We pray that it will proceed without further adjournment and that he will be set free. But even if he is set free, he faces incredible dangers. Lord, we just pray that you will have angels protecting him and his family. We thank you for the prayers answered for Asi Bibi and the powerful world-changing effect when two or three are gathered, bringing petition in your name. We pray for our political leaders that they will act with wisdom and justice to protect the peace and freedom we enjoy. We pray for our leaders as they strive to tackle deep-rooted problems of homelessness and rough sleepers, often with the added complications of addiction, alcoholism, and crime. We pray for the rough sleepers who have been using the balcony of this building. Lord, give us wisdom on how to handle this, to strike the right balance of compassion towards someone made in your image, 
and responsibility for the safety of those who come and go from this building. Lord, we don't take for granted, and we pray especially for the staff and parents of Sunflower, the building residents, and those who come into contact with the rough sleepers. We pray for our leaders, for Sam, for our session, for the meeting on Tuesday evening, for committee, members of leaders in all church organizations, that we will be united in one purpose, to make your name known and that you will be glorified in this place. We pray for all from the church who are receiving medical treatment, who have procedures, who have had procedures or who are having procedures in the weeks ahead. We pray for Annie, for George McCullough, for Martha Jones, for Jerry Clancy. We pray for ongoing strength and well-being for Rebecca and for others. And for those now who we bring to you just in the moment of silence. All these things we ask in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this last hymn is really, um, is also called The Servant King, and uh, from heaven you came. And uh, the words speak for themselves. It's about what Jesus did for us and uh, our call to serve him. So let's stand to sing, From Heaven You Came. We can do that is by blessing each other in these good words. So let's say them together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.